0: Welcome to episode 41 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre. On Stageworthy, I might talk one-on-one with an actor, director, playwright, or producer, or I might get a group of people together to talk about a specific aspect of theatre in Canada. If you'd like to be a guest on Stageworthy or you just want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at stageworthypodcast.com. My guest this week is Haley Pace, a freelance designer, technician, and award-winning performer from Kitchener, Ontario. If you enjoy the podcast, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use, and consider leaving a comment or rating. just finished at school.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So you were at York?
1: Yeah. Uh, I took, I, I took a fifth year actually. Okay. Because, um, I had taken so many theater courses that, um, <laughs> you didn't, did you not
0: have enough to, uh, to, to quite graduate?
1: Um, I didn't have enough of my mandatory courses to graduate. Okay. Okay. Um, the actual things you need to get a degree, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> like yeah. a social science course, yes, and a course. natural science course. Mm-hmm. So I I was so interested in so many aspects mm-hmm. of theater, like setting, costume design, and directing, mm-hmm. and playmaking, and uh, play funding, mm-hmm. that. Um, I took so many theater courses. So
0: what was your major while you were at York? It
1: was called devised theater, which is a very... like. I am familiar with the program. Yeah, yeah. it's a very millennial way of saying collective creation or um, playmaking, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Or as Paul Thompson would say, a carpenter of theater. Mm.
0: (laughs) I always felt like um, when, when I was on tour with Keystone Theater, there was a group in Montreal of people who were... York. I think they were in their first year then. They were part of the devised theater oh, yeah. group. And um, what sort of freaked me out is they were like, Oh, you don't need a director and I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. No you have
1: Yeah, you need someone who's watching the direction of the piece mm-hmm. and you need roles. And I think what that uh, course is trying to enforce, uh-huh. is that everyone has a say. Uh-huh. And everyone has a say on the vision of the piece, but unfortunately, that's not
0: really how it works. You can't really do that, because somebody, somebody no. has to have, somebody has to be the ultimate arbiter of that sort of thing otherwise you end up with a mess
1: right which is what the projects were Mm. most of the time so (laughs) I got a lot of my um, bad theater making Uh out um, in my undergrad because they were teaching us in these strange methods of Mm. making theater which I've taken um, selections of ideas from but not the entire process because I do believe that you know, you need to have structure to the process mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form, right? It's
0: interesting that it's interesting that this class, this course exists at all, really. Because mm-hmm. when I was in theater school, nobody talked about making your own theater. Mm-hmm. I think people who might listen to the, the podcast are tired of, of me talking about that, but I'm mm-hmm. constantly um, fascinated by the fact that that when I was in theater school, it was all about um, go to the audition, get the job, get the next job. Go to the next audition. It was all about mm-hmm. that. And nobody talked about mm-hmm. creating your own work, mm-hmm. which has become one of the most important parts of the business, is, mm-hmm. is, is creating your own work. And now we have these programs that, all, that are actually talking about it.
1: Right, because this movement has only been recent since the 80s. Mm. Because before then, each regional theater had a season and um, it wasn't necessarily a piece of original Canadian work. They were all imported works from either uh, the American musical theater or Mm -hmm. from um, the Elizabethan Shakespearean theater. So we actually weren't creating our own work until we did have regional theaters, and even then Mm -hmm. it was still a very classical process. Mm -hmm. And underneath that, when you couldn't afford to get your work into the theater, (laughs) or it was curated as such... Mm -hmm. Um, that you couldn't get into it. Uh, alternative theater started coming up, so it's still yeah. so such a baby. Um, and now schools are trying to emulate that mm-hmm. idea, like how do you create an ad hoc yes, um, yeah. theater uh, company, right? And yeah. now it's spawning even more so. Mm-hmm.
0: It's really interesting because I think that a lot of that, m- I think that the the fringe festivals and the fringe circuit has a lot to do with the the way that people are starting to look at independent theater and people are creating shows and taking them on the road and things like that um as well as the whole regional uh theater thing Mm -hmm. that that, that there's so much uh encouraging uh of of these new pieces of of theater um Mm -hmm. when you went to york that was this year this is not your first rodeo as far as uh theater school went or did you did you work, do theater school before that did you
1: do I didn't do theater school but I did participate okay um I was encouraged to pursue theater since I was in my grades uh grade school okay. um uh, we were putting on a a play in from a language textbook and I've volunteered to do the lead role um <laughs> hesitantly but um, <laughs> uh yeah that's where I the bug caught me but mm. I was just doing community theater
0: um until uh
1: I decided to apply to university for it
0: what made you decide because some people you know they might do community theater but it never yeah they never look at it as a vocation so what mm-hmm. what, what made you want to do it like, i knew living? yeah
1: i knew i wanted to yeah. from a very young age mm-hmm. i mean i didn't really know you could go to school for theater mm-hmm. um until i heard my my uh, drama classmates applying to mm-hmm. universities for theater and i saw it Oh, well, I was thinking about just going in for social work. Mm. Uh, But then, um, because I'd be working with people and working with emotions. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Funny enough. Yeah. uh, So um, I learned that you Mm. could uh, apply for theater school. And I I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take a year off from high school. I'm going to get my priorities straight. Mm. I'm going to take a year off and say... You know, goodbye to my Kitchener uh-huh. friends, unfortunately, and yeah. uh, move on to do this.
0: So, how long is the how long is the York uh, program? It's four years. Four years,
1: but it's an intense four years. Mm. So intense that people don't often finish in four years. Mm. Um, if they take summer school, they could. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. it's it's very very time consuming and intense.
0: Is that? I mean, I'm... Because I'm familiar with, with the conservatory model, which yeah. is very intense into three years. Um, oh, yeah. I cannot imagine if a course had that sort of conservatory model, but also made you take, like, a social sciences class and an mm-hmm. English class and things like that.
1: That's how you get your degree paper, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah. so that you're educated, like, academically beyond mm-hmm what it is you're studying, uh-huh. right? And to me, I, I mean, I'm a big um, advocate for uh, education. Yeah. I believe all knowledge is relevant, so anything you learn or put work ethic in... Yeah. ...counts. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, it's uh, on top of your, um, you know, being in rehearsal or being in crew till 10 o'clock uh-huh. and then being in rehearsal from 10 to 12 a.m., then you start your homework.
0: Right. So... So not a lot of sleeping. No. Mm-mm.
1: Mm-mm. Mm-mm. there was a lot of and not a lot of sleeping in my own bed mm. i slept in a studio right. to finish my design projects because i'd be building models scale models and i'd right. be doing scale drafting until four or five in the morning and mm. you walk out and see that people are in line at starbucks and that's just the worst thing ever
0: <laughs> yeah it's not so good uh, <laughs> so you were taking extra stuff around the design aspect is that right
1: yeah, I was um, in the devised theatre program, which is what I put on my resume, but it's not technically a program, it's not a stream, it's just a series of courses okay. where they teach you how do you make a piece of theatre from an idea to a concept that you can actually mount mm-hmm. in a theatre and get money for. Okay. Um, and on top of that course, mm-hmm. um, I took uh, the design series of courses, right. which is set in costume design, and I took... Um, mm-hmm. A bunch of other things that were required on mm-hmm. top of that so like set drafting mm-hmm. um you could take costuming mm-hmm. you could take um a, a course called history of visual sources right. which was um literally from the beginning of time to now oh. you um uh, draw a five page five page line portfolio every single week so you have to do research on every single time period in history. Mm-hmm. You can imagine what that was like. Yes, I can. Um, but incredibly informative. So yeah. now I have this portfolio of a starting off point, which mm-hmm. is the point of it, right? Yeah. So then there was the directing courses, and there's acting courses, and there's um, in-out courses. So it's in the um, School of the Arts, but outside of your major. So that's okay. where I learned piano. Okay. That's where I got to perform in the Beggar's Opera, mm-hmm. which was a um, uh, one of the mounted pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned sheet music. I learned huh. everything. Wow. I, I learned everything. I learned wow. I, I choir. Like, mm. I've tuned my voice in choir. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just, mm. I love that opportunity. I would have taken so much more.
0: If there were more hours in the day, uh, yeah. If I, could,
1: if I would go back a six year, but I've outgrown it, you know, yeah. I can't do school for another few years, but, oh, my God, I was ready to, like, take up the creative writing course. Yeah. Like, I took that, I could improve my writing. Yeah. It's fantastic.
0: I've been, uh, I spent uh, a, a, quite a period of time myself where I wasn't writing. It's yeah. only a couple of years ago, really, that I started writing again. I used to write a lot, and then... At a certain point when I when I decided that I wasn't gonna do theater anymore, I gave it all up and I stopped doing doing writing and I stopped.
1: Oh you weren't gonna do theater. I wasn't gonna do
0: theater anymore. I spent like four or five years of like just being like, Nope, just gonna get a job, just gonna just gonna do the work, just gonna be a person who works. Hmm. I'd burned myself out on a bunch of stuff. I produced this uh, double bill of Midsummer Night's Dream and Shakespeare's lost play in Ironside mm. with Richard Bowen and a number of mm. other actors and uh, that took a lot out of me and then uh, I spent a few months after that maybe, maybe two, two months just being like yes I'm gonna I'm going through and I'm being I'm just gonna do the thing and then I was like I'm too tired and I stopped
1: my biggest fear
0: that's I mean you have to be fed Mm -hmm. right and I think that community is something that feeds you um and surrounding yourself with people who make stuff and who can feed your creativity Mm because I was sort of in a bubble at that point I didn't really have a community Mm -hmm. that I was that I was making yes I had the actors that were in the show but I I sort of was alone in my uh creative endeavors as far as I thought wow and so that that's where you can really burn out because you don't have a support network at all.
1: Absolutely, I completely agree with that. Um, because when you see people doing it around you, uh-huh. you say to yourself, "Why? Why not me? Why yeah. not me?" Yeah. And I keep reminding myself of that um, yeah. when I see you know my friends on Facebook who graduated with me. Uh-huh. Um, I see them making their own shows, producing uh-huh. their their own shows, getting. Um, you know internships with theater companies. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yep. It's just it's choosing, choosing yeah. your path and choosing your behavior, mm-hmm. how you're going to think of the situation, and yeah. surrounding yourself with creative people. That is, yeah, like, amen to that. That's Absolutely. so true.
0: And I, you know, when I stopped writing, I kept wanting to write, and I never had, mm-hmm. I, n- I never did. Um, and then finally, I did. Uh, my girlfriend encouraged me to do that. I mentioned the Red Sand Castle was doing this. 24-hour playwriting thing in the theater Mm -hmm. and she was like you should do that and I was like "Ah, Mm -hmm. I will and then I wrote like what turned into like a full-length play there and I've just been writing ever since and I think I find that writing is something like you can take a course in it and you but you the most valuable thing is to do it Mm -hmm. and if you're writing theater Mm -hmm. that's not quite enough because then you have to get the go the other step and sit down and have people read it out loud. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like a solo show for you, people listen to you read it out loud. Yes, absolutely. Because you, if, uh, until that happens, it's not you don't know if it actually can be spoken.
1: Whereas mm-hmm. uh, in one of David Mamet's books, he wrote that um, the best way to playwright is to uh, stand at the back of your audience and watch when they're... Uh-huh kind of churning in their seats mm. and watching their reactions. Yeah. That is, it's very valuable.
0: Yeah. I love, I love the idea. Like every time I've ever done like a staged reading, have a group, you know, in front of an audience, you know, you bring in some people, you're going to do this, you're going to read this play, you have a bunch mm. of people to read this. <clears throat> I never feel like I actually need a Q&A after. Mm-hmm. Because the audience has told me everything that they, that, that I need to know. Mm-hmm. But there's this expectation that you're going to do a Q&A, and so...
1: And sometimes Q&As, I find them very biased, and they put a lot of pressure on the audience too, yeah. you know? Well,
0: not only that, but if you don't ask questions, like, uh, I did a couple of Q&As with, uh, at Alumni Theater as part of their New Ideas Festival a couple of times, and their, their uh, Q&A session would start with, so... What did you think, any questions? And that's the most dangerous thing that you can oh. say because the only feedback you're gonna get is, well, I would've written it like this, or, you know. Really? It, it, oh yeah, basically what it boils down to is, this is what I would've done. So you get no valuable feedback.
1: Wow, I would've thought that you would've gotten feedback like, it was good, it was good, it was good, and nothing else. Well, what you
0: tend to get is, it starts with, I thought it was very good but yeah <laughs> you, know, you sort of get, get that sort of thing which is like yeah. not at all there's no helpful thing mm-hmm. in whatsoever
1: yeah I understand that yeah I mean that's why I I have um I'm thankful again for going to university mm-hmm. for this because I trust very much trust my professors and my mentors mm-hmm. I have one in particular who's been uh, a designer for theater for mm-hmm. you know up to years and he's who I go to yeah. um, to critique my work because mm. I know he's going to be straight with me. He's not yeah. going to tell me like a bunch of bullshit about my work. He's going to say what didn't work yeah. and he's going to tell me what worked yeah. explicitly. Mm. And so I'm like, I love that
0: because
1: yeah. then I know where, where to go with it because mm-hmm. he knows what he's talking about. I trust people who've been doing this for years. I yeah. trust them.
0: Yeah. you know. Um, You know. Now, you went to the Edinburgh Fringe. I did, yes! <laughs> um, was, was that your first created piece, or did you do some stuff before that, before you went off to, to Edinburgh?
1: Yeah, I had done uh, Ham- the Hamilton Fringe, It's mm-hmm. the first Fringe I ever did. What was the first show that you did there? It was called A Language for Dogs. Um, I was with a troupe at the time, we were just starting out, mm-hmm. uh, we were called Outrun the Mill, and um, we did pieces, we did physical theatre pieces mm-hmm. that were um, site specific. And were about um, uh, real issues in the community. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, we did a piece about uh, gentrification in uh. Hamilton mm. um, because the area is really becoming a pop up place. Yeah. So um, it was physical theater. It was weird. It was violent, and um, that was kind of the style of our our mm. director, which wasn't really my style, mm. but. Um, he was very knowledgeable on the ideas in the fringe mm-hmm. and how it worked. Right. And um, he was where I learned how to do it. Right. So, although the theater wasn't quite my style, I knew that, okay, these are the steps I have to take in order to apply for a
0: fringe. Um, but then, when he did go to Edinburgh, what the show was called
1: Nudity Free Beer Good for
0: Kids. Okay. So, <laughs> and um, so you take this show, Nudity Free Beer Good for Kids. to Edinburgh. And what was that experience like?
1: It was the most like shit kicking thing I've ever been through. (laughs) That moment when you had one audience member Mm -hmm. was like the moment I realized that everything has been done and nothing is original. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how can I best tell the stories I want to tell Mm -hmm. in a way that is engaging and gives back to my audience? Yeah. Because really, there were three thousand shows happening simultaneously, beside the Fringe Festival.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is the international artists who are brought in, and asked to perform. Which is like your competition. Yeah. Um, That was that was the hardest thing. One of the hardest things I've ever done as an artist, and I learned so much from it um, to be modest about my work, (laughs) Mm. um, and how to best give give an audience experience mm-hmm. that needs to be seen yeah.
0: live there, there's something as well about especially at fringe uh, having a good hook yes like yes. you gotta know how to talk about your show and draw people in especially at something like the mm-hmm. Edinburgh Fringe mm-hmm. where every, like that and any fringe really that one on one contact is your best selling tool Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have the best publicist. Sometimes publicist can, can really work out for you, but you've got to get in and talk to those people. So you've got to have mm-hmm. a hook that people read and go, I want to see this show.
1: Well, in Edinburgh, it's a little scarier than that because it's not so much about like one-on-one time. Mm-hmm. You're on the Royal Mile and there's probably, you know, three or 4,000 people running through there. um throughout the whole day and there's live acts happening Mm. uh, all up along the street and the loudest Mm wins the loudest most entertaining (laughs) most promising spectacle will win out of anything Mm. because um, that's how you grab people's attention
0: yeah
1: Um, and that's what I that's what I learned from that experience that like Mm. if I'm gonna come to a festival like this I need to do something that like grabs right here right now right I can't sit and have a conversation with people. Mm-hmm. They're getting flyer 15 times yeah. in 3 minutes. Yeah. You have to like know how to stand out <laughs> real good. Yeah.
0: And that includes yeah.
1: having a guaranteed product yeah. that people recognize instantly.
0: Well, there's I mean there's something about like, you know, you you sort of for a lot of fringe festivals, you have to do your time. Like maybe your first your first couple of festivals are not going to do so well, but you build up. Mm-hmm. And if you do more than one festival, maybe early on you don't do so well but Mm -hmm. as word spreads and word does spread does not just through reviews but somehow there's this osmosis between fringe festivals where Mm -hmm. I can remember showing up in Winnipeg between uh, Montreal didn't go to Toronto go to Winnipeg and the volunteers are like oh we're so excited for your show and we're like how do you even know about it? Wow, you know it's just something in the in the air mm, the internet um, helps for that exactly
1: in Edinburgh it's um also your publicity it's like you're walking down the street and there are billboards that are like <laughs> four feet tall mm. lining the fences. And then when people's reviews come out, they all print out stars and slap them on there. Yeah. So as soon as you see five stars, you're like, oh, that show's yes. doing well, yeah. course, you know, yeah. and of course, all the publicity awards help. It's a guaranteed product people yeah. are looking for. Mm-hmm. So it's like getting to that point mm-hmm. is the hardest part. Absolutely. But once you're there, I'd say you're on
0: fire. Um, I remember being in, in Winnipeg and watching. So it was like the first day of shows and, you know, trying to decide where are we are going to go flyer? Because we knew we had some buzz, but we needed to capitalize on it. So we were going to mm-hmm. flyer. We were like, you know what? Peter and Chris are probably going to have a good line. So we're going to go and we're going to flyer their line. And as we approach the line for Peter and Chris, we can see everyone. Every show, basically. We can see people coming towards from all angles with their, with their flyers out, ready to flyer that line. And we just sort of went... <laughs> Those people are going to have enough. And we went to find another line. But, like, I'm trying to imagine that exponentially in, in Edinburgh.
1: You're not even allowed to fly our lines in Edinburgh. Mm. Different flyering politics. Mm. You're only allowed to fly around the streets. Flying wow. lines is wow. the unwritten rule mm. you're not allowed to do.
0: So what you... After that experience at Edinburgh, what did you learn to take forward to your next show?
1: I learned that I need to um, give an audience an experience mm-hmm. that they want to see. You have to learn to catch their attention, mm-hmm. and everything has been done, and nothing is original. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a hard truth. That I think
0: is—it's an important truth, though. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people forget that their original idea is not as original as they think, mm-hmm. and you just—you have to acknowledge that and just sort of. Concentrate on what it is that you're saying mm-hmm. that's new mm-hmm. or that's different. What's mm-hmm. your take on that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, and I think um, although The Fringe gives us uh, a playground to experiment with our new work, um, you know, we still see audiences dwindling, mm-hmm. which is the biggest theater debate there is. Yep. Uh, and I hear from a lot of people um, from the generations above me um, pointing the finger at at us and saying, you know, you guys are not cultured and Mm -hmm. you're not exposing yourself to culture and you don't know what you're missing and the live experience of seeing an actor sweat on stage is is so rewarding and it's like you're talking to a bunch of people who like are, you know, getting thrills playing video games and watching the movies that they want to watch. And you have to understand that. Yeah. You can't reject that. No. You have you, to understand what our what our generation wants and why they're entertained by that.
0: Yeah. I th- there's I mean, you going about it the wrong way. Yeah. Two things. The point of the finger and saying, You guys need to get out and see some culture. Yeah. It's... And also giving them the same thing that they can get at home. Mm-hmm. And giving them the same thing that like Unless you can say something different or new with Shakespeare, fuck off. Like, like, and you know, I know people, and I know some Mm -hmm. people who are doing some very exciting stuff with Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. and I love that they are, Mm -hmm. but I'm so bored by Stratford. So am I.
1: It's my biggest, uh, one of my biggest no-nos. Shakespeare does not speak to me, it never has. I thought there was something Mm -hmm. wrong with me Mm -hmm. as a theater person, uh, going into university and still not giving a shit. Mm But uh, I realized when I graduate that um, I just had an idea of what was yeah, what, I, what, what worked with me and what didn't. Um, and funny you say, the new, thing mm-hmm. of, uh, new things that people are doing with Shakespeare. There was a show in Edinburgh called Shitface Shakespeare." Uh-huh it was one of the most amazing things i've ever seen yep. classical actors of uh, getting shit faced before yep. the show and then doing the show drunk and like you could vote as an audience like if you thought he wasn't drunk enough or not and i thought that is the collective spirit mm-hmm. that shakespeare intended his mm-hmm. work to be written for yeah. like back then you were outside in a theater mm-hmm. that you had people yelling throwing fucking oranges at the actors. Mm-hmm. The actors were drunk. Yeah. Everyone was drunk. Yeah. Like, that was a collective idea. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but it was relevant to the time period directly.
0: Yeah.
1: So like, yeah. um, Shakespeare was directly making fun of like the um, government system of mm-hmm. the time. Uh, and that is relevant. Yeah. I completely disagree with people who are trying to make Shakespearean theater relevant today. Mm. It is not. It is not re- relevant today, and we need to be writing theater that is relevant today, yeah that operates on you know our government systems, like yeah. the kinds of ways we socialize, the kinds of ways we fall in love mm-hmm. is very different than yeah. it was in a, like a monarch of yeah. the nineteenth century yeah and that's what we need to be writing about
0: yeah, I think that I think that you know we sort of a lot of theater companies. Do do Shakespeare because they feel like they feel like it's safe, mm-hmm. which is a mistake because mm-hmm. we should never be safe. What yes. We're doing like we should take a bunch of risks and not do something safe. But also, I do think that they think that they can't find something else. So they're like, we're just gonna do this classical work because there's no royalties because he's been dead for five hundred mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. When I think that you know, there's so many other options available. To them or maybe there's somebody who's writing stuff they don't know about and who's just looking for a stage or like I think that that we've fallen back on these classical works for far too long mm-hmm. um and we need to do something different
1: yes it's a big problem because the big theaters aren't as popular anymore um and I was just reading about this in Jordan Jordan Tannehill's mm-hmm. book uh, Theater of the Unimpressed mm-hmm. Um, where he visited a a regional theater and it was dark and archaic and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a 300-seat theater that he can only fill up to half, Mm -hmm. even if he puts on um, a major production. Mm -hmm. And God forbid you put in anything original, it's not a guaranteed work. Who cares enough? Um, But if they were to put in a Shakespeare show, well, everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, Why not? Yeah, But exactly, even then, it's a, like the ticket yeah. prices are not necessarily accessible either. Ticket prices are
0: a real problem. Yeah. I mean, when people start wringing their hands about why are the millennials not going to the theater, mm-hmm. because you're charging $100 a ticket and they can go see a movie for for 10 mm-hmm. or stay at home and watch Netflix for $8 a month, so think about think about that you know mm-hmm. like, but then
1: again on the other hand devil's advocate mm-hmm. says that uh theater needs to maintain its mm-hmm. technical you know infrastructure absolutely and um and i think that's why um the bigger theaters are becoming less popular and these more pop-up storefront yeah. theaters are becoming more popular yeah. because it's cheaper cheaper ticket prices for a product that's something we've never seen before yeah. Um, and it's accessible. Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I, like accessible in that, you know, there's like new work going on there, but also that, like you said, the ticket price is not going to break the bank. Yeah.
1: Because it's a, a smaller maintained, you know, industry mm-hmm. within that. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go see the Broadway spectacle, like you're going to go to New York, or you're going to go to Mervish. Yeah. Even that is a family function. Like no one our age. Yeah can go and afford that no one, oh, i think
0: well you know? i mean people are and yeah. people are i mean something like hamilton that the age range you know that's that's a particular thing that's true And it, it is you know i think it's bringing people to broadway that that wouldn't normally go there but those ticket prices are still fucking high mm-hmm. and the you know it's it's an you know you have to go there
1: mm-hmm. to see it which is
0: another another thing and the mm-hmm. Mervish shows, you know, they tend to go very family-oriented or they, they go for a couple of sure things a year. Um, but those ticket prices are still high.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think that, you know, like... And you know what, they're hand too because they've relied a lot for a long time on their subscriber base mm-hmm. that's dying.
1: And they've also relied on, uh, heavily on Disney, mm-hmm. um, who yeah. was a big um, financial backer uh to Broadway so that mm-hmm. anything that wanted to be produced on Broadway mm-hmm. that was relatively um, independent mm-hmm. and didn't go through Disney was usually on the side streets mm-hmm. yeah. like it's very hard to top the Lion King when there is so much mm-hmm. money yeah, put absolutely. into it because the money was there yeah this world revolves around it yeah absolutely. and um, that's that's another hard truth mm-hmm. um, you know if Disney's got the money they're gonna make it and hinging on nostalgia is one of those perfect modules that they've used to sell and and um niche markets like fetish markets too um with merchandising and everything it's like people love to collect stuff
0: they like to have stuff Mm -hmm. and well we got the budget for it yeah absolutely absolutely and and merchandise is like huge for a lot of Broadway shows yeah Mm -hmm. like that's that's just another way to make money. It's fetishizing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, it's 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 brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but to to go back to the back to the point, you sort of you took some of the things that you learned of, and about you know what's bringing people into the theater to give an experience, mm-hmm. and you turn that into. Well, first, how did you decide that what you were going to turn that into? Before we get into the specifics of, of what that was.
1: Because, um, my first love is music, mm-hmm. and. I've always known that I was going to create something that had music Uh in it and music was going to be like a um, moving, working
0: Uh uh,
1: piece in the theatrical show I was going to make. Uh I just didn't know how I was going to do it or what that idea was for the longest time until I saw my first biggest inspiration. Uh So music is loud. Uh When it's well done, it catches attention. And if you can create that and push the boundaries of, is this a concert or is this theater? Mm -hmm. And you can find that middle ground. That's Mm -hmm. something that in the theater community hasn't quite, I think, been done in my experiences. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen, and I've seen quite a lot and researched a lot Mm -hmm. of this. And I haven't seen something that's right in the middle, Mm -hmm. like bringing a concert going audience to the theater. Mm -hmm. That's a huge audience. Yeah,
0: it is. It is. Um, and so you turn that into the teeny tiny music show, mm-hmm. which I mean the, the 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 name of the show is a is a little bit misleading because it starts out looking like it's going to be teeny tiny, <laughs> it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is exactly what you're describing. It's it's not just it's like the concert, the line between concert and theater blurring, and with all of these moments of. Like this really simple theatrical magic like even as simple as like an instrument that you didn't expect just sort mm-hmm. of appearing beside you which is which is amazing so um, you worked You obviously you put together you brought together a, a brilliant team of people to help you put that together mm-hmm. um, what was the process of finding all of these people like
1: very hard because um, I was just finishing my fifth year at York and um, York is still the community that I was involved in, Mm -hmm. not so much downtown, um, yet. So I, I reached out to the music community at York and Mm -hmm. I, I had to personally ask people. I held auditions to which I only, um, had a turnout of about eight or nine people. Um, people are busy in April. Um, they don't have time. Uh, so I ended up resorting to personally asking people, sending mm-hmm. them private messages on Facebook. And if someone said, No, I, I'm busy, like I got other gigs, I said, Can you refer me? Give me a list mm-hmm. of names of other musicians you know. Right. So I was just going down the line, private messaging strangers mm-hmm. people I've never met before. Mm-hmm. And like two or three of those people have become good friends of mine. Right. Who are interested, like I've only met them once or twice yeah. and who became so interested in the show they want to work on the future iterations of Mm, it that's great Mm -hmm. that's great so it's my way i i butted in a little bit into Mm -hmm. the toronto community outside of york York. but most of them mm -hmm, were all privately asked
0: that must have taken a lot of time it
1: did it was every waking hour i was sending Mm -hmm. a pitch about my show i have my pitch memorized because i've typed it so many times (laughs) I knew, you know, I, my elevator pitch, I know like that Mm. because I had to, Yeah, it was the only way I was going to get people. No one knows who I am. No one cares. I just graduated. Of course. I have nothing to prove my work except for my words and my pitch. Yeah.
0: Um, so what, and this, take, take this question as, as I, as I intend it, which is just like so. What was it that made you think that you that this show was worth putting up like that that it was worth like talking to so many people and 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 and, and like borrowing and stealing instruments and people and like putting this group together
1: because I knew that I knew the power of surprise mm-hmm. is um really really um it's, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And this is the main hitch of my entire show, the power of surprise, mm-hmm. and how that brings joy to people. Yeah. Um, that is something I knew would work. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied bits of it in theater school um, from Anne Bogart's um, uh, teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, the element of surprise is something... Because you know, what Anne Bogart does, if you're familiar with her processes, is that um, she's also a theater creator. She teaches in New York. And um, she writes down a list of things that she wants in her show. Mm-hmm. So she goes, I want a slap. I want an unexpected kiss. Mm-hmm. I want a, a moment where you can't tell if someone's laughing or crying. Mm-hmm. I want a moment um, of... Uh, unexpected Relevation mm. And that's the one that I highlighted mm. I'm like I want to hitch on that idea yeah. Unexpected Relevation Something you don't know is going to happen mm. And happens mm. I think um, has always spoken to me When I've seen a piece of theater I said whoa how did they
0: do that Yeah yeah. Um,
1: I, I, I'm i in love with that idea mm-hmm. So yeah. I knew that I knew that that would work mm. And that's why I was really intense about it yeah. The second is my love for music mm. Um, seeing something that's loud and then melting that with the idea of surprise
0: Yeah, it is amazing I mean it shouldn't be a surprise musical theater has been around for a long time but how well and how easy it is to put music and words together to form a new thing
1: Mm -hmm. right which is a different experience than having your band in the pit Mm -hmm. playing the music and showing up in rehearsal two days before tech and then doing a sit yeah, It's a very different idea and a lot of musicians have that fate mm-hmm. that they know they're going to be in a paid orchestra because it's very hard mm-hmm. to independently produce your own music as yeah, a band. Right. Um, so I, I thought about that too. I'm like, what the function of musicians? They don't actually do a whole lot of action. So what if we did something where we use them a little bit more mm-hmm. as moving working pieces in a theatrical setting? hmm let's push that theater a little bit more into music mm. um, and see what happens. I had no idea. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if this <laughs> was going to work. I had no idea.
0: <laughs> so did it work? I guess so. It, it did. Trust me, trust me. I saw that twice. <laughs> it worked. Um, so, you know, you audiences responded to it really well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know there's other people than me who went back more than once. Yes. <laughs> um, I know there are a bunch of them. Um, so what did you learn from from this run at, at Hamilton Fringe?
1: A lot. Um, I learned that it worked. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. That's an important one. Huh? Um,
1: yeah. I learned that um, don't be afraid to go cheesy because someone might call it theater magic. Uh-huh. Uh, And that worked with displaying uh, our saxophone player in Mm -hmm. light and sparkles. Yeah. You know, like, that was the cheesiest thing. And when uh, my director, Ryan, had proposed that, I was like, let's do it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, And I want to go further with these ideas. Mm. Um, uh, On another note, I also learned about um, storytelling Mm. a lot. I learned about, um, how to make something, um, not, uh, self-indulgent mm-hmm. or as, you know, a lot of us would say, especially my professor, masperatory yep. theater, how do you give to your audience? Oh. Because otherwise no one wants to stand there and listen to you talk for an hour and I don't blame them. Yeah. Um, I learned that if you want to do why here, why now, make it like really easy on yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, make it like you are performing in front of people on a stage and yeah. that is your why and figure out why mm. um one of the most important things yeah. to engage them. Um they want to feel spoken to. They mm-hmm. want to feel like they're part of an experience. Yeah. They don't want to feel yapped at.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah.
1: So as soon as you give them that, they're on your side. Um I also learned about how to tell a true story Mm. uh, which was some an idea I was um, battling with for a long time because what I did tell was a true story Mm. um, which was based on a fictional time period but the story I told was on verbatim Mm. events that happened Mm. um, in my personal life and in my personal relationships right Um, I learned after getting advice that it is important to protect the identity of anyone in my personal life I'm Mm. talking about. That um, um, if I were to talk about events that were true, some playwrights uh, don't allow them sell, don't allow a company to produce a play unless uh, the playwright's dead because Mm. it contains personal information about their family life or Mm. um, their romance life Mm. that may be harmful Mm. uh, to someone watching it. Yeah. Um, Or there has been so many years passed that is yes. it is okay and ready to talk about the situation, yeah. which is what your play exactly. Was.
0: I had like I had so much time over ten years between uh, mm-hmm. the events of mine, and also there's a lot of fiction in mine, which yes. sort of like helped with helped
1: neutralizing with that. exactly right. Exactly. And I learned a very hard lesson about mm. that, um, which I think is going to help me with the show. Yeah. going further because I want to tell a story about a girl falling in love with the saxophone player while watching him play mm. whether or not it's 100% true is irrelevant yeah I want to be able to tell a story without uh, being held back by it, you know these other things
0: it's interesting that you know we want truth on stage but the truth can also be just whatever we tell the audience that truth can be what's true in this moment as we say it rather than the ultimate truth which is or like the absolute truth because mm-hmm. the absolute truth can sting a little bit for the same reasons that you've you outlined um neil gaiman says that you know stories are lies but they're good lies <laughs> Yes, you know, and
1: unfortunately, um, if you were to tell a hundred percent true story, you would realize that it lacks a lot of dramaturgical, um, uh, yeah, you know, climax. Mm, uh, absolutely, because so, yeah,
0: truth—a true story doesn't have um, it doesn't have all the things that you need for a story. Mm-hmm. You have to mold it into the story pattern. You have to have your introduction and your your rising action and your falling action, and nothing. Actually,
1: has that? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't, no. because life continues and goes on, and there yeah. isn't an end to you know the stories that happen in our life. We mm-hmm. don't always have resolutions, yeah. which is a something you can include. Mm-hmm. You know, something that Robert Lepage has done over and over again, mm-hmm. especially in *Needles and Opium*. You know, where he was talking about a true event in his life, going through a really hard breakup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which he. He lined up with the death of Miles Davis, I mm. believe, if you're familiar so I'm not, with that I'm not show. As with it he developed as it that show over 20 years. Yes. Yeah. Mm. You know, and it's like it's still in process and he's mm. still working on it, but it's based off true events. Mm. Um, mm. You know, but that doesn't make it any more or less honest on stage. Yeah. What people are looking for is an honest performance. Yeah. And inspired by a true story just makes them go back and look at the details and think what are, what is there was is not true.
0: Yeah. So with all of this, this, this show that I would call a success in, uh, in Hamilton, what's, what, what's next for that? Is it something that you want to continue to, to develop?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this is something I've wanted to do since I've watched, uh, my friends produce their own work mm. and I'm going to go, go forward with this. My next steps are, um, Applying to the Toronto Fringe Mm -hmm. Um, with our current cast, it's going to be very hard to tour to outside provinces right now because everyone's going through school. Um, It's really hard time for all of us transitioning. So I would have to essentially recast Mm -hmm. if I wanted to take it outside of province. And it it was already so hard to find the players I have. It was already so hard. Uh, But now that the word's out, I have a little bit more credibility. Mm -hmm. It might be more easy. Yeah. Um. But uh, for right now, I'm going to take it baby steps. Yeah. I want to apply for the grants that apply for me. Um. Mm-hmm. See if I get those. Um. And go forward with uh the next step, which is doing it in Toronto, a mm-hmm. larger audience. I've yeah. tested my uh, my show in yes. front of a smaller audience. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to see what I can afford doing it in front of a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. Baby Steps, yeah. best way to do it. I can see yeah. in the future. I would love to tour it. I want that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not quite yet.
0: Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. You mm-hmm. have to do it sensibly, especially when you have a, you know, a group of musicians. like the, the size of the show that you had, that's not an easy thing to tour. It must have been even hard just to get all of them to Hamilton.
1: It was. It was. If there was no promise of... Of paying them mm-hmm. or sh- giving them that kind of support. Musicians aren't used to dedicating this amount of time to a project. No. They do a gig they set up for 10 minutes and they go home. Yeah. Or they, you know, like I said, they learn their music on their own time and then they show up at a SITS probe. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very new experience for them
0: Yeah.
1: Um, being part of a creation process. So because of that um, it's hard to ask them to put aside their their jobs of to course. come and rehearse twice a week if I'm not paying them to come to rehearsal. Yeah. So, um, my perspective is that I would love to pay them for rehearsals. Oh. I want that experience so much. Yeah. I love to pay artists for their work because well, I know what it's like to not get paid. Well, thank
0: goodness for you because so <laughs> many people are like, well, I don't have to pay them for that. Oh, you know? I know. Yeah. I'm
1: all about that. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm happy that I could pay them for the shows. So mm-hmm. That was what I wanted so bad Mm -hmm. and and we got it we did it we made a profit on the show good good so I can't crowdfund again because I've already did it once Mm -hmm. Um, it was hard enough to get the money we did yeah 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 in the amount of time we did next is doing those grants and Mm -hmm. praying
0: yeah I think there are other ways to get I mean it's sort of there are crowdfunding is one thing but it does have a limited shelf life. you certainly can't do a crowdfunding campaign once a year Mm mm-mm You've you've got, partially because, well, every time I've done it, I'm basically getting money from the same people because I can't quite crack my 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 immediate social network. So mm-hmm. you end up you know asking the same people for money all the time, and eventually that 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 stops. So you have to find other ways to try to do some fundraising, mm-hmm. and, you know, an event of some kind that people come to. Mm-hmm. But even that is risky because you still have to rent a space and mm-hmm. things like that. There's no And I wish I knew what the magic bullet was for that stuff, but...
1: And trying to get people to come out to your events is easier said than done. That
0: is also tough. You have to give them something. Again, it's you have to give them something they just can't get at home. Yep. You have to get them out of their house. Exactly. Give them a reason to come out of Mm -hmm. their house.
1: And not even doing a gig works that well. Like, we were doing that a little bit. And, of course, you know, again, like, we were just starting out. But, like even getting the people together to participate in the event it's like they all got time too Mm. and they're like oh i don't know and you know um getting the people to organize the events and attend them like Mm -hmm. if we were going to do one playing music it's like it's another thing you're asking your musicians to do of course yeah and it's already such a time commitment to commit them to the rehearsal process so you have to be careful how you spend people's time
0: yeah, I mean the the whole theater funding thing is is one of those those questions of of how do we do it, mm-hmm. you know, for independent theater outside even even a four frames like mm-hmm. these I are know. expensive things, you know. We have it better,
1: I think, in Canada than we do in the states.
0: Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah, I I think um our government is is supply, supplies enough of that support mm-hmm. and mentorship programs as well. Yeah, for you know artists. To team up with people and get paid that way. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many arts programs and and ways of funding. Yeah, um, I know in the states. Um, well, no, even in Canada too, you could always apply for, you know, take register your company and then um, as a charity, uh-huh. and then you can get um, companies to donate yes. to you, and they'll get like a tax receipt for that, mm-hmm. which is. You know, a very good way of doing that. That's one way to do it. Companies put aside; they budget money for for these
0: things. But they also, having having investigated that a few years ago, they also are more likely to give that. They want their name on that. So they yes they they often have money to give, but they also want to make sure that they're giving it to somebody that can make sure that everybody knows that they gave that money. So mm-hmm. to the widest audience. So you find them sponsoring, a, 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 you know, Mervis Productions or Stratford or Shaw, mm-hmm. like these Canadian stage, all of these larger companies, because they have a number, a lot of people going through mm-hmm. who can see that that company donated. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, why absolutely. they're doing it is yeah. to make their name look better. Yep. Yep and you again the better people see it. Yeah,
1: and it's about starting small too. Like mm-hmm. even for our show we had an in-kind service with Need Pizza. because uh-huh. um, we had, you know, a pizza slice uh we needed in the yeah. show every night and yeah. instead of paying for that, we asked Need pizza in hamilton if they'd like to come on board with us as an in-kind yeah and we'll like put your flyers around our venue and they they said that they had an increase in business that's awesome and it's like it's like starting small that way like starting with smaller companies and yeah you know it's just keeping at it yeah you know and you will get there yeah you just got to keep going yeah keep strong
0: well, we are basically at the end of our time. Thanks so much oh, for watching. It's been a pleasure. This right. is so
1: cool. This is my first podcast. Yeah. <laughs>